Welcome to the Staying Ages podcast, a show that will equip you with the major keys to achieve extraordinary longevity. This is your girl, the Sosa E, also known as Raw Girl. I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach. And today on the show, we will be discussing how to prepare for the future of aging. To get this longevity party started, I'll give you a brief rundown on the major factors affecting aging and how inflammation is considered one of the key factors affecting aging. And later today, we'll be chatting with our expert, Dr. Royzen, who is a certified in internal medicine and anesthesiology. I am so grateful to have each and every one of you tuning in the show from all over the world. Shout out to listeners in the USA, the UK, Ireland, Spain, South Africa, France, Germany, and much more. If today's show inspires you, I'm inviting you to go ahead and subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It means the world to me to get feedback, so any reviews are much appreciated. Child, if you haven't figured it out, aging is inevitable. And on this show, I often talk about how lifestyle and diet interventions can slow that process But this episode is going to be interesting because we're going to discuss emerging science that may be able to give us a reboot back to the younger versions of ourselves sometime in the near future. Aging is characterized by a decline in organisms' physiological integrity, leading to the loss of tissue function and vulnerability to disease. The major factors affecting aging are inflammation, lifestyle, genetics, and environment. Inflammation is one of the key factors affecting aging, and this process is being called inflammaging. And it's actually a part of the natural and normal process of getting older. Four cardinal signs of inflammaging or inflammation are rubber, redness, heat, swelling, pain, and finally, complete impairment of function. If you think about it, to inflame is literally to set on fire. And in our bodies, this process is triggered when tissue damage occurs. However, inflammation is not something we should think of as something that we need to just get completely rid of. It's there for a reason. Inflammation is also a stage of repair. Something happens that sort of becomes like a cumulative repair deficit where the body is trying to repair itself, but it couldn't finish the job and it needs a little help to complete the repair. So this is why all of those reactions happen, the redness, the pain, all this stuff. It's kind of a warning sign. What this tells us is that when our bodies are breaking down for whatever reason, we actually need to allow the inflammation process to occur rather than block it to get through to our healing. Many of our medicines, including non-steroidal inflammatory drugs, actually slow down soft tissue healing. And it actually would be way more proactive to support the inflammatory pathways to help us heal much faster. Inflammation can be caused by many things such as smoking, obesity, or even stress. Lifestyle is another factor that affects our aging. And these are choices such as whether we eat every single day, our diet, and whether or not we exercise or do not exercise. These things have been shown to affect how quickly we age, of course. For example, people who eat healthy diets with lots of fruits and vegetables tend to age slower than those who eat unhealthy diets with lots of processed foods like fast food or junk food. Genetics also plays a role in how quickly someone ages because it determines how well their cells will repair themselves after damage has occurred, which can lead to chronic illness. Inflammation is a normal response to injury and physical stress, but it can also be an unnecessary harmful process. Inflammation can occur anywhere in the body, in the joints, in the muscles, in the tendons, and even other organs. 
It can be triggered by a variety of factors, including infections, injuries, or specific disease states. Inflammation can be acute, meaning it lasts for a short time, or chronic, meaning it lasts for a long time. Chronic inflammation is a condition where your body says, hey child, I'm really tired, I need a break. And your immune system goes into overdrive trying to protect you in fight or flight mode. The inflammatory process begins when white blood cells called macrophages release pro-inflammatory cytokines that signal other cells in the area of injury to come and help to fight off the infection or heal the wound. This causes an increase in blood flow and swelling at the site of injury, which helps fight off the infection by increasing oxygen levels in the tissues and removing dead cells from wounds. The inflammatory process in the body has been linked to aging because it causes oxidative stress, which damages cells and tissues in the body. Chronic inflammation can lead to many diseases and conditions, such as heart disease, diabetes, cancer, Alzheimer's disease, arthritis, and much more. So inflammation in general speeds up the aging process. Inflammation induces a number of changes in the body that can weaken it and make it more likely to age prematurely. It weakens muscles, leading to less physical performance and increases the likelihood of any sort of falls or accidents. It also damages connective tissue, which allows fluids, chemicals, and cells from blood vessels to leak into joints and other tissues which, where they might cause more damage. In a study published in 2020, researchers found that inflammation caused by rheumatoid arthritis was associated with accelerated aging. The study focused on people who had rheumatoid arthritis and showed that the more severe the disease, the faster the people aged. This is consistent with previous research, which has shown that high levels of inflammation are linked to an increased risk of developing many diseases and disorders, including heart disease and diabetes. In another study published in 2019, Researchers found that people with type 2 diabetes are more likely to die from any cause than those without the disease. As you may know, diabetes leads to high levels of inflammation, which is an important cause of aging, which can damage blood vessels and other organs. So how do you prepare to reduce or control inflammation and its effect on how you age? Well, to reduce this kind of chronic low-grade inflammation, it's really important to play the long game and make a lot of changes in your diet and lifestyle. So you want to start with consuming an anti-inflammatory diet. So limited saturated fat intake, avoid processed and refined foods, eat a diet rich in fruit and vegetables, include healthy fats like olive oil, nuts and seeds, avocados, and fish oils into your diet. Consuming large amounts of antioxidants is also essential for the protection against oxidative stress. Then you also want to reduce your toxic consumption and overload. So if you're smoking, you need to quit. If you want to um, drink alcohol, you might need to do that in moderation. And then you want to curb your exposure to toxins in your environment. So pollution, um, chemicals that you use cleaning in your house, all of these things are very important and make up, are part of your environment and can make up your toxic overload. Then lifestyle-wise, you want to reduce chronic stress because chronic stress, no matter what you do with your diet, chronic stress can definitely boost your inflammation. So regular exercise, meditation, prayer, time in nature, all of these things can help. You want to have something that you do every single day that can keep you um, calmer and reduce your stress levels. The other thing we also have to do, a lot of people don't think about, is paying attention to our gut health. Um, in order 
if we actually improve gut integrity, we actually can reduce all overall inflammation in the body and slow down the inflammation process. So consuming a lot of prebiotic and probiotic foods, um, avoiding things that damage gut integrity, um, and then addressing it if those things have shown up is very important to slow the process of inflammation. We also need to get rid of infections. When we have an infection, um, our immune system is really going to be focused on fighting that off. And as we're fighting that off, our body may be inflamed and we may accelerate aging. So whatever underlying infections or underlying um, issues we have, we have to address them. And we need to work on balancing the overall immune system so it's normal, but not hypervigilant. Um, usually when people have autoimmune diseases, their immune system is actually hypervigilant, which also is not a good thing. So it's not really always about boosting the immune system. It's about finding balance with the immune system. Another approach to prevent age-related disease is shifting from strategies that involve trying to stop inflammation overall to a concept of immune modulation, which is kind of what I was just explaining. Um, these are interventions that help to reestablish a regulated inflammatory response. So it's trying to get your the levels of immune cells back to the right ratio so the immune system can function optimally versus saying, let me just stop this process altogether or let me boost the immune system and then it might go into overdrive and cause problems for us. All right, all right. I hope you learned a little bit about inflammation and how to slow that process. We are going to take a short break and when we come back, we'll chat with our amazing guests. So stay tuned. Are you a woman struggling with horrible periods, fibroids, endometriosis, PCOS, infertility, or unsavory menopausal symptoms? I'm Asosa E, also known as The Raw Girl of therawgirl.com. I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach. And in my Hormone Balancing Academy, me and my team can help you approach any hormonal challenge you are facing from a holistic perspective. Don't take my word only for it. Here's a snippet from a recent client whose fibroid shrunk after following my recommendations. Um, come to find out my fibroid shrunk to a 1.5. Yes, Jesus. <laughs> I was so happy and grateful to God and Asosa and, you know, just her program really. Outside of my fibroid shrinking, I am off of chicken, so I don't do meat. Yes, Jesus. <laughs> and I don't do dairy. Don't, you know, we don't do that anymore. And my weight is steadily at a one, 101 pounds as of today. So my weight did go up. Um, so I'm really happy with, you know, with my results. I'm really grateful to, you know, to God and to to ASOSA and her, her Raw Girl program. And I highly, highly, highly recommend you sign up for Raw Girl. You won't regret it. Just in case you missed it, head on back to season six and hear more of the amazing glow-up stories from women who have overcome infertility, normalized incessant periods, and much more. If you or someone you know are interested in reaching your hormonal health goals with support this year, visit therawgirl.com to sign up for a free 20-minute call and a member of our team will talk to you. Until then, stay healthy and happy.
Dr. Roizen initiated and developed the real age concept to motivate behavior change. He served as Cleveland Clinic's first chief wellness officer from 2007 to 2019 and founding chair of its Wellness Institute. The clinic's wellness programs helped the clinic not spend over $1.050 billion for its 101,000 employees and dependents over 11 years compared with national averages and helped over 43.6% of participants achieve normals for health. He is certified in internal medicine and anesthesiology. He's a Phi Beta Kappa graduate of Williams AOA from UCSF School of Medicine. He now serves Cleveland Clinic as Chief Wellness Officer Emeritus and is a professor at Lerner College of Medicine of the Cleveland Clinic at Case Western Reserve University. He has authored over 190 peer-reviewed scientific publications, four New York Times number one bestsellers, and nine overall bestsellers, including his initial number one bestseller in five countries, Real Age, Are You As Young As You Can Be? age-proof, living longer without breaking a hip or running out of money. And his latest book, What to Eat When, a strategic plan to improve your health and life through food, and served 16 years on FDA advisory committees. He helped start 13 companies, co-invented a drug approved by the FDA, and has a weekly podcast now in his 980th week, He and Dr. Oz co-author a daily column syndicated to over 100 newspapers that translates current scientific reports into actionable steps for lay audiences. He is a recipient of an Emmy, an L, and the Paul Rogers Best Medical Communicator Award from the National Library of Medicine and the United Way of Cleveland Humanitarian of the Year Award. Dr. Voisin is devoted to helping people live younger. He consults with patients in Cleveland Clinic's executive health and wellness programs. Dr. Royzen, thank you so much for joining me on Staying Ageless. I'm super excited to chat with you today. Thank you, Asosa. It's my privilege. So I want to start with, um, I'm very interested in, I guess, what led to the, like, what led to you writing this book? Like, is it a fascination with aging? Is it just like seeing all the mounting research? Like what, what was the personal impetus for you? The only time I write a book, and since I've written 22 of them, you know I've gotten this pretty often, is when the science has changed enough that I think the audience, that is anybody who listens to it, can make a change in their behavior because of it or should plan for that. Hmm. So this is actually, although I've written, you know, four number one New York Times bestsellers and nine overall bestsellers, um, this I consider the most important book because it's a major disruptor. That is longevity, promises to be a major longevity, major disruptor, but planning for it. So, So if we plan for it and if society plans for it, it can do a great deal to help society for an economic boom and to decrease wealth inequality throughout the world, as well as there is a lot of planning the individual can do so they can take advantage of it. So the real reason we wrote the book was to help people think about and plan for the future. And that, at least, if I don't, if that isn't, that's the only reason I have to write a book. That is, 1999, we said 60 could be the new 40. That was really 
what we call rejuvenation, slowing aging. Now we think 90 can be the new 40. That's regeneration in a huge 30-year expansion of life expectancy in one decade, one 10-year period, means we're going to have an emotional change. It's bigger than the chip as far as disrupting. So like when I think of regeneration, I think of, so it, it's different from trying to slow aging in a sense. It's trying to like age, but like somehow regress the body to a, to a, an earlier state. Is that correct? You've got it. That's perfect. Okay. So uh, when I say 90 can be the new 40, where we've been, there are 14 areas of research into aging mechanisms 14 that I consider, actually, that are all shown in at least two animal species, they can regress that animal, the equivalent of from 100 to the equivalent of 40 in human years. Wow. All 14 of those are now moving into human studies. And so with what we call 14 shots on goal, there's at least an 80% probability that in this next 10 year period, you're going to be able to get younger. Will you be able to do it multiple times? We have no idea yet because the animal models haven't moved that far, but at least for all of us, you got the concept perfectly, Sosa, that is that we're gonna be able to get younger and that means at least we will extend that period between 40 and 60 to between 40 and 90. Hmm. Um, that's so interesting. Now, there's so many things in this book that made my jaw drop where I was like, wait, what? <laughs> um, there were so many things, the stem cells, uh, like all, all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, okay. I see what, what's going on here. There's all this science involving regeneration, re going back to an earlier stage. Have they seen or, or ha is there any data yet on any potential side effects of any of this stuff? Or is there, we're not even there yet. We haven't even got there, that far. There's side effects on every one of these. Um, but the side effects um, are in most of these have become very manageable. And why do I say that that's been an emphasis because um, this is, if you will, regressing us. We're already okay, right? These are right. taking people or animals that are already okay. And right. you're saying, let's make them younger rather than, in other words, up till now, almost all of research has focused on one disease or another. How do we treat high blood pressure? How do we treat diabetes? This is how do we treat aging right. as a disease? Right. And so um, let me give you an example. So in gene editing, we know that, for example, um, thalassemia and sickle cell disease in their severe forms really shorten life expectancy and cause a huge amount of pain. Yeah. So in thalassemia, 70 five of the 76 patients treated with gene editing. They edited out the gene that causes the hemoglobin that causes the beta thalassemia so that only fetal hemoglobin is there, which can survive. It's not ideal for adult, but instead of these people 
15 to 20 years old, having to go in for a transfusion once a week, being in pain, having a life expectancy of 25 to 30, by knocking out that gene, they now have a life expectancy of 65 plus. Wow. Huge difference. Wow. That's going on with sickle cell disease as well. It's an, a little earlier in the stage, but we're going to see that. That actually got approved by the FDA in late August. Wow. Now you say, well, could we do that for the gene that causes or that increases dementia threefold, the APOE gene? Um, and you're saying maybe, but it isn't a sure thing that that causes it. And right now, gene editing has a one in something like 20,000 base pair error rate. So we're not ready to try it because of that side effect. Those base pair errors would That's be serious That's what I was problems. really concerned about. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. If I... No, but but if, you're gonna, if you're having to go through, and, and the sickle cell is pretty good um, now, so that with both beta thalassemia and sickle cell, the benefit is so much greater than the risk that that's not a problem. But for diseases that don't invariably cause a problem, for gene changes that don't invariably cause a problem, that's too big a side effect. Yeah. Um, let me give you another example. Therapeutic plasma exchange in early dementia, that is donating a unit of your own plasma, getting your red cells washed and getting them back to you, um, every week for four week, for five weeks and then every month for the next four, over 15 months reverses dementia. Well, if you've got early dementia, that's something you want to try. Now, what's the risk? Well, when I've had patients go through it, I'm there with them for the first two treatments or so. Why? Because there's a real risk of hypotension because mm. these patients usually have cardiac disease and are frail at the same time or mm. less frail, but you get to reverse that and maybe some of the cardiac effects. We know mm. the, that the dementia is pretty good as a form of reversal. So the point is, um, in that case, there is a side effect. We can manage it. We know mm -hmm. about the hypotension. You just do the donation at a slower rate mm -hmm. um, and give them more saline back, um, which is what you get back. And it's inexpensive, obviously. We pay kids to graduate students to donate plasma. This is the same thing in older people. It's not expensive, but it does require, if you will, some side effect monitoring. So in almost right. every one of these cases, there are side effects. It's really interesting because you just said that, so they already had mild dementia. So this is implications for treatment of someone who already has something and then also, could you do it if you thought you might? Or is it more like, is it a preventative thing? Is it going to, do you feel like it's going to go into a place where it's like, well, my family history of disease, my, my father has high blood pressure. My mother has, you know, I have a lot of clients with fibroids. I help women shrink their fibroids naturally. We've had crazy success with getting rid of hormonal issues, um, using diet and lifestyle and stuff. But it's like, okay, if I know every woman in my family has fibroids, can I edit out the gene that causes the fibroids? I don't know. Um, the answer is going to be maybe. Okay. Okay. We aren't at the point of knowing the answer to that yet. 
Hmm. So in the animal model, so let me tell you how long this has taken with just therapeutic plasma exchange. Right. It started in the 19, in the 1960s. What is that? 60 some years ago. Yeah. With the convoys at UC San Francisco where they gave old rats the blood of young rats. They hooked them up together and the old rats became young. They then spent 50 years, not them alone, but other groups trying to find what is it in young blood that makes the old old rat young? Well, they finally found out it wasn't something in the old blood. It was getting rid of the proteins and plasma in the old rat and mm. forcing the old rat to regenerate new proteins and new plasma. Mm. Now, what does that do in the animal model? It makes the skin young. It makes the muscles young. When mm. they biopsy the liver, the pancreas, the kidney, those are young. The cardiovascular system perks up. And the animal looks and functions cardiovascularly, muscles, tone, maze testing, much younger. Is that prevention? Yeah. But in humans, we don't have an approval for right. process for doing that, but right. we do for dementia. So that's where they're studying it. Now that's in the, the AMBAR studies, as you know, in the, the book is fully referenced. So people can find it in the book or in our website at greatagereboot.com. Or if they want to just Google AMBAR, A-M-B-A-R, they'll see that. But the convoys work is now being done at both UC San Francisco and Stanford in humans mm -hmm. to look at overall rate of aging because mm. it has so low side effects and it's being done in people before they're deteriorating, if you will, through mm. some of their programs. Mm. Um, and so, if you will, that's what's going on. Okay. Can you explain for the average person who has no idea what uh, Senolytics is, what that is, and, and if there are any particular very potent senolytic agents that you feel like are, are very fascinating right now that are being researched? Um, so a senolytic is a drug that harvests senile cells. What do we mean by that? Cells that are old function poorly or can function poorly. And like a piece of rotten fruit, they make the fruit around it rotten. The cells that are old make the cells around them old. And they mm -hmm. say, why did we derive this? Well, if you were attacked with a horn by an animal or something, and you were stabbed, you wanted to heal that. And so it's thought we evolved that because when you're stabbed, you want to scab to form fast so you don't lose blood or get infected. The, what this does, what the senile cells do by making the cells around it old, they really are forming a scab and yeah. a seal so you wouldn't bleed or get infected. Well, while that was very useful when we got attacked by um, an animal or stabbed, it's not effective. It has dysfunction now. If you get a senile cell in your, in your joint arthritis, if, if you will, in your joint, the cells around it by becoming a scab lead to osteoarthritis. So what was very functional in our last 30,000 years of life 
is not functional in the last 100 years, if you will, when we don't want arthritis. Mm-hmm. So that's what a senile cell is. Are there processes that go and get the senile cells? Yes. One of which is that therapeutic plasma exchange seems to do that in the animal models. We don't know if it does it in humans. Mm. There are some inexpensive drugs that are being tested to do that in humans as well that look like they're succeeding. We don't know where the trials are yet. This is also recent. That's what I'm saying is this is going to occur if there are 14 shots on goal, one of which is senolytics, and a division of that is the therapeutic plasma exchange, but there are other ways of, of harvesting old cells, one of which is looking at old proteins and saying, can you block their attachment? Bumex and Viagra, Bumex is beta butametadine, which is a $4 a month water pill blocks the attachment of tau and amyloid and some other abnormal proteins to brain cells and glia cells, to neurons and the supporting structures. And in epidemiology, 70% reduction in dementia. So Mm -hmm. I'm focused, I've got a lot of stuff on dementia in the book as well. But Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, how great is that? A, A $4 a month water pill decreasing dementia by 70%, that's epidemiologic. Now it's being randomized controlled trials. That was done in the Gladstone, San Francisco and and at the Cleveland Clinic here. Viagra was shown to do the same thing. So now they're both being tried in individual trials. Can they do this prospectively? Mm -hmm. And then the two together, can they do it prospectively and do they have additive or beneficial effects together? So we're going to know a lot more about three years from now in that in that example of blocking abnormal protein attachment. So there are these 14 areas, and with 14 shots on goal, we think there's at least an 80% probability that by 10 years from now, you'll be able to reboot yourself to a much younger age. Wow. And when you say reboot yourself, I mean, when I reading through some of the material in the book, it seemed like it was very focused on like we can handle these organs or this specific gene snip. It's not literally like you're going to go and get a whole reboot for every single organ and everything. Or do you think that that could eventually be the case? You know, sometime around 2050, you may be able to go in the car wash at 90 and come out the car wash at 40. (laughs) But for right now, it's going to be organ by organ, which right. is why the last third of the book is how to, if you will, slow the aging of every one of your organs so that when you need it most, you're going to be able to reboot that one organ that's damaged. So we, I'm concentrating in our discussion a lot about the brain just because we think that's going to be the hardest to reboot back. So mm. you want to preserve that as much as possible. Mm. But um, whether it is organ by organ or car wash, whole body by whole body, we don't know yet. Um, okay. you know, some of the research, so in induced tissue regeneration, it's done at three places, um, a private lab near UC Davis in Switzerland and now at Coleco at the Google Moonshot, turning on three of the four Yamanaka factors 
reboots you reboots the mice from a hundred back to forty. Now oh you come back to your your side effects. Yeah, if, when they did all four Yamanaka factors, they rebooted the mice back, but they developed cancer after the equivalent of two human years. My but now only do, turning on three of the four, these three labs have been able to reboot the mice without them developing cancer over the next 40 weeks. So they've mm. now taken a 107-week-old mouse, made them 40-week-old mouse, and now they're about 82-week-old mouse. We haven't known whether you can do it twice yet. They're only 82-week-old mouse in the second time. So what is that? Uh, 42 plus 107, they're 149 week old mouse, but they're functioning like they're whatever it is, 80 week week old mouse. But we're learning how to get rid of that side effect by only turning on three of the four Yamanaka factors. Now, just imagine they're actually able to do it in a second animal species. George Church at, at Harvard says he can do the same thing with 17 year old male beagle dogs. He's rebooted them back to three-year-old puppies. And in fact, he's formed a company to do that. But his real interest is in human aging. So we'll see uh, how fast they move that technique into humans. But in any case, that's called induced tissue regeneration. It's another one of the 14 areas um, developed really by a uh, now a Nobel Prize winner, Dr. Yamanaka in Japan, who has moved to the Gladstone in San Francisco. So the Gladstone has done a lot of this work now in three diff- three of the 14 areas. Wow. Um, yeah, I was, re- <laughs> I was reading and I was like, this is wild. And then I was like, but then, so like my whole career is around getting people. And even me, I started when I was like 20, being very intense about my lifestyle, right? So my whole career is about getting people to consider making lifestyle changes now so they can live really long. And I'm, I'm always fascinated by, I've, I've been interviewing so many um, that I'm just so fascinated. They're like 75, they're still doing triathlons and they're doing all this stuff. It's so fascinating to me. So does this, is, is the point of this for people to be like, yay, there's science coming. <laughs> There's science coming, so I don't have to, like, get up and, like, do my workout. No, just the reverse. Remember, I said maybe in 2050 we're going to get a car wash. Right. What we expect is this to be organ by organ. And so it's really important to do what you say. What I said in 19, I mean, I've spent the last, uh, whatever it is, 25 years or so. Actually, really, if you look at the research, 30-plus years Uh, doing this, if you will, that is, we can slow aging. We knew, we predicted 60 would be the new 40. That's come to pass. That's a lot of what you're talking about. That's what we predicted when we came out with real age in 1998. And the, the point is that that's really key now, because if you do that, and if this comes to pass organ by organ, you're going to be able to benefit hugely by the fact you've slowed that, you've done the workout, you've eaten food that only loves you back, you've got a posse and passion to manage stress, um, if you will, and you're you're not uh, making unforced errors like vaping or uh, tobacco. 
Right. No, it makes sense. It's kind of like basically all the people who are doing the work are going to have a little bit of a head start. <laughs> well, not a little bit. Probably a lot of a head start. Mm. Just, just assume that we can't do the spinal cord or just assume we can't do the brain. Mm. Well, by keeping those young now, you're going to have extra time till that car wash reboot comes in and then does that. So it really is saying, if you're as curious as you are and I am, um, we're going to have the, the benefit of being able to have that passion of curiosity for longer and healthier years. I love that so much. You're at the Cleveland Clinic, which is basically at the forefront of medicine. And I'm wondering, because I, you know, I have all of my wishes for how the, the, the world would deal with health, <laughs> and especially in America. But I'm wondering if, if you feel that medicine is ever going to move to a place where we're incentivizing people to be healthy, we're incentivizing um, medical professionals to get their patients he- healthy, and we kind of change, you know, the model of the way things are now. Well, the, the, the process is we did change the model at the Cleveland Clinic for our 101,000 employees and dependents. You may know this from the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a small sidebar in the book on this. Um, we uh, initially motivated them with, you know, the if you look at the RAND studies on incentives, it says they don't work for wellness with one asterisk, and the asterisk is unless they're large. So our CEO said to me, um, go and um, do this. We're outcome-driven at the Cleveland Clinic, so we said we'll measure herd outcomes, uh, what we call six normals plus two outcomes. Six normals are, uh, if you will, things like normal blood pressure, normal LDL cholesterol, uh, normal hemoglobin A1C, with or without medicines, et cetera, and all of these. And then we said, um, let's start with whatever incentive we have to and keep raising it until we get a response. Mm-hmm. Um, when we crossed a number someplace around $700, we started getting um, even the cardiac surgeon spouses uh, to um, get them to change behavior. <laughs> and so um, we now have saved, as you know, we're, we've reduced our need for illness care among our own employees and caregivers by 38% compared to both our trend line and our competitors. From a savings standpoint, we're not spending $190 million a year on the 101,000 employees and dependents. We're now up to 110,000, but at that time, 101,000. We're saving $190 million a year, and they're saving probably over $50 million a year in premiums and copays. Um, the wow. reward. So we incentivize them. The incentive is now up to $1,500, the maximum allowed by law, and it works. Yeah. We exported this to 10 other corporations, and um, it takes about three years, but it works for those as well. Um, so large incentives do work, and it is going after six normals plus two does work. So mm-hmm. now, does it work 
if you incentivize the physicians for the patient's care. I don't know. Physicians are driven already. I think you've got to uh, do the, the patients themselves. And what happened when we started doing this for our employees, many, 98, 93% of which use Cleveland Clinic physicians or practitioners for their uh, primary care, um, it turns out um, the primary care practitioners were excited too, because instead of um, discarding their their say about LDL cholesterol, about blood pressure medicines, et cetera, they said, get me to six normals plus two, because we got the incentive large enough. And uh, so the all of a sudden, the practitioners... Um, advice was being taken and they loved it. So um, I don't, we don't know that that would work for everyone. Um, We have stopped uh, marketing that to other companies, um, but, but it's able to be picked up by anyone. And, and at our, our website, that is the Cleveland Clinic has stopped marketing it, but at our website at the great age reboot, you can get a app that helps you as an individual do it. Um, and then, then it's a matter of how do you get your insurer or um, the insurer to do it. That's a tougher problem. Yes, you know, I think so. But, but the point is you'll be healthier. Right, right. Love it. What Can you give us a, a little teaser, I guess, of what are the main things you feel like we need to do to prepare if we're going to live to 110? My grandmother lived to 101 and my mom's my dad's mom lived to 99. So I think I have those genes <laughs> already. Well, you, you do have an advantage. Um, there is a, but it's only about a three-year advantage. Mm. That is a parent or grandparent living past 75 gives you epi- in the in the studies about a three-year advantage. So, okay. um, but you're going to get much more, my belief is, by doing healthy things. Because yeah. you get to control about 80% of which of your genes are on or not. What's the most important thing? It is stress management. What's the most important thing in that? It's having a posse and a purpose. The mm. second most important is food choices, portion size, and time or days of eating those. Um, the third is the four components of physical activity that make a difference to longevity. The fourth is avoiding unforced errors vaping, smoking, not living near a freeway where you get air pollution, checking your water so know whether you need a filter and which filter, etc. The fifth is, uh, if you will, sleep and brain um, Mm -hmm. strength. Mm -hmm. And uh, the sixth is uh, supplements and small molecules. So all of those six are major things uh, that can change your rate of aging. Love it. Love it. What are things that you do every single day? I do, you know, there are, um, on our list, there are 180 things in the Reboot Your Age app uh, that make a difference. I do 178 of them, Uh, um, if you will. And the two I don't do as perfectly as I should are stress management. I do call friends. I do nurture a posse. And I obviously have a purpose, which is helping people to stay young. But I do have a fair bit of stress. And the mm-hmm. other um, uh, area that I don't do perfectly is sleep. 
Um, but I'm getting, I've been progressively uh, since uh, probably 2017 getting better at that. I knew how important sleep was, um, but I always sacrificed sleep to write, to do other things. And right. uh, obviously, if you're, run, if you're managing, I, you know, I, I ran uh, um, the Wellness Institute or, and before that, Anesthesia Critical Care Pain Management and Executive Health at the Cleveland Clinic, and before that at the University of Chicago. And that's 80 plus hours a week. And if you're taking care of family and if I'm trying to write books, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you have to say I sacrifice sleep. I shouldn't have done it, but I did it, but I'm now learning how to, uh, sleep seven hours a night. That's awesome. That's awesome. I became obsessed with sleep my freshman year at Cornell university. I had a professor named Dr. James Moss. And he wrote a book called Power Sleep. And I just, it scared the crap out of me. (laughs) So I just, I was always obsessed with it. And I have my little, I feel like it does help to track. You know, when you track things, sometimes it gets at your forefront. So I have a whoop tracker and I have, you know, all these things that help me like look at it and make sure that when I get off, I can, I can be incentivized. So the, the Reboot Your Age app, connects with all the trackers, if you will, in both fitness and in sleep. And in it has uh, the Brain Games, Brain HQ, the speed of processing games integrated into it, as well as the sleep program integrated into it and and a uh, stress management program integrated into it. So um, you get all of those, uh, if you will. So we believe in that, too. And and that's all at greatagereboot.com. That's a shameless plug. No, no, you're allowed to plug. Um, (laughs) Everyone should read this book. It's very fascinating. The other thing I want to ask is... Uh, I'll show the book just so people can see the... Yes. Very, very good book. Um, The other thing I want to ask is, are there any advances in uh, testing regarding like... I've done this once. I think I tested my telomere length or something and or whatever, my my, bio, my biological age versus my chronological age. Are there any other advancements in, like, actually you know, being able to I, nail I'm going down? to tell you that, that our real age uh, program, it's at free at sharecare.com, but our real age program is now more accurate than any of the other programs when you look at mortality rate and disability rate. In a huge study out of California, we didn't do it. San Diego took the first, I think, uh, uh, 10 million people we had um, and looked at them through the, um, if you will, the death index, the Medicare and Social Security death index. In any case, the point is we will get biomarkers that are really good for aging and whether it's epigenetic clocks or telomeres or something else, we will get that. We don't have it that is consistent now. I mm. wish telomere length worked. It doesn't. I Mm. wish the epigenetic clocks were more accurate. They Mm. aren't yet, but they Mm. will be sometime in the next two or three years more accurate Mm. than what your your habits are. What real age is, is the net present value of your choices and your, um, and the current biomarkers like blood pressure, et cetera. Right. And that really is, that's the same as the, the person who did it with me is uh, Chaz Becker, uh, Gary Becker, who 
won the Nobel Prize for net present value of investments at the University of Chicago. This is just net present value of your health habits. And they are really important as you, you have shown uh, associated with yourself. So what you're doing is absolutely right. Um, we will get better markers. We just don't have them yet. Okay. Very curious. I was very curious about that. Um, no, this has been awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, hmm, I'm wondering if there's anything else we should consider. I know you talked a bit about the financial implications of living really long. Uh, what are some things that we need to think about when it's like, okay, I'm going to live to 110. Clearly, I think I need more money. Uh. <laughs> well, the, the, the great news is compounding does a huge benefit. And let me give you the example. If you put 3% of a $15 per hour income away at 4% a year, um, and that's what they do in Australia, Singapore, and Denmark, they, gain, they guarantee it. It's in addition to Social Security and Medicare. If you do that, by the time you're 65, you have 250, I think $257,000 if you start 22. Mm. But if you don't touch it, Till 95, you have $1.4 million in today's dollars. Mm -hmm. And if you have a company that, like the Cleveland Clinic that matches it, mm -hmm. it's only 3% match, you end up with $2.8 million by age 95. Mm -hmm. The compounding effect can do away with wealth inequality. And that's what the goals of, of Australia and Singapore and Denmark were. We can do that here. And believe it or not, in a bipartisan fashion, I can't believe it. We, we, while we were doing the galleys of the book, looking at the, the preprints and checking it, it turned out the House of Representatives in the U.S. in a very bipartisan way, I think it was something like 410 to 20 or something like that, passed that very rule um, for mandating it in the United States in addition to Social Security and Medicare, not taking those away. Wow. It's now in the Senate. I understand the Senate is going to take it up before the end of the year. We don't know that it won't just die on someone's desk in the Senate. Right. But it's supposed to take it up before the end of the year. And if it does that, we may have that in the U.S. So the point is, there's a huge benefit from compounding Right now, if we don't get longevity because of the declining birth rate, if we don't get longevity, we run out of money because there won't be enough young people to pay for all of us who are retired, even if we only live to 80. Yes. But with longevity, if you're going to work to age 100, if you're going to live to 115, you're going to work, you're not going to want to retire at 65 and do nothing for 50 years. So you're going to work 20 years longer, pay into Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, et cetera. And that means that those trust funds, which are now predicted to go belly up, to, to run out of money in the late 2020s or early 2030s, won't, have, won't run out of money. And we will be able to afford, not only afford longevity, longevity is really the cure for not only the United States' economic problems, but the world's. Just think of poor China. You say poor China, eh, 
they're not poor. Oh, right. They have 1.4 billion people now. By mm -hmm. 2100, because of the decrease in birth rate, the one-child policy, et cetera, they're only going to have 670 million people by 2100. Right. So right. they really will, and most of them won't be young to support the old, so they will really run out of money. So right. longevity is really the cure for our problems, not the cause of them. Love it. Everyone go read The Great Age Reboot. Where can they get the book? Any place. You know, it's at uh, your neighborhood independent bookstore, I hope, by now, as well as at bnn.com and Amazon. So wherever you get books, it's available. And it's available in uh, Kindle version and, and Audible versions as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Royzen. I really appreciate your time. Sosa, thank you. I appreciate your questions and time. No problem. Are you interested in living your best, healthiest life? I'm Asosa E, also known as The Raw Girl of therawgirl.com, and I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach who specializes in helping you discover what exercise and diet is best for your body and get to the root cause and rebalance if you have a serious chronic condition. Clients who've worked with me have reversed diabetes, hypertension, balanced hormonally, gotten rid of acne for good, and lost hundreds of pounds. If you are interested in reaching your health goals with some support this year, visit therawgirl.com to sign up for a 20-minute call with yours truly. Until then, stay healthy and happy. All right, all right, it's time to take a question from Instagram or email. Remember, if you would like to have your question answered on the show, all you got to do is send me a DM, slide up in my DMs on Instagram at therawgirl, or contact me via my website, therawgirl.com. Today's question is from Mia via Facebook, who says, is it true that a bad diet can cause inflammation in the gut? If yes, how can we avoid it? Hi, Mia. Yes, it is true. Um, for sure. Definitely what you eat can cause inflammation in the gut. There's a, several things you have to consider. One, are you consuming foods that perhaps you're allergic to or sensitive to? If you're, for instance, lactose intolerant, you're consuming tons of dairy, yes, you're going to increase inflammation in your body. Um, these kinds of things over time, eating foods that you're allergic to over time can cause massive inflammation in the body and then spiral into other issues. It's the ways that you can avoid it really are paying attention to your diet, avoiding things that you know you're sensitive to. Um, if you are super sensitive or intolerant to anything, just avoid consuming them altogether. Reduce your intake of processed food and sugar. Make sure not to overdo antibiotics. And when you're not overdoing antibiotics, you're also going to make sure to consume more organic foods because a lot of these pesticides actually act like antibiotics and can damage your gut. And sometimes when we take rounds of antibiotics, it takes a really long time to recover the functioning of our uh, good bacteria and have everything go back to balance. So you want to make sure that you're, um, you're uh, consuming foods that are encouraging that process rather than um, uh, making that process worse. So getting enough prebiotics and probiotics in the diet is important. Prebiotics you can get from things like oats, asparagus, onions, um, 
things like that. And then probiotics, you can take a probiotic if you like, but you can also eat fermented foods. So things like sauerkraut, kimchi, kombucha, uh, water kefir, all of those things have probiotics um, and a, a good amount. I hope that helps you. Okay, it's time to close out today's show, and I hope you've learned a thing or two about the future of aging. It kind of blew my mind. This interview was pretty amazing. How you can prepare now and how you can also slow the process of inflammation. Leave a comment or DM me on Instagram at the raw girl if you're going to change anything in your diet and lifestyle as a result of getting this information. I hope to hear from you soon. Today, I leave you with a quote from Edward Stanley. Those who think they have no time for healthy eating will sooner or later have time for illness. Ciao, ain't that the truth? Well, that's all for today, sis. If you're looking for more health tips or have a question for the show, find me on Instagram at The Raw Girl. You can also find me and contact me through my website, therawgirl.com. For more on the show or to listen to past episodes, visit stayingagelessshow.com. Mm-hmm.